All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Salt reminds us of resilience, the ocean of the need for wonder, and spring that life returns after even the harshest winter. This is Logosish. Welcome to season two. This week we explore Catherine McNeil's book, All Shall Be Well, and we spend some time finding God in the cycles of nature. Hey guys, welcome back to Logos-ish Season 2. It is wild. We have officially entered 2021. At least we think we have. You know, it may be that some of 2020 is spilling over into the new year, but we are going to slosh it out of the boat, push it back, plug up that hole, and, you know, right this sinking ship. All here on this podcast. All you have to do is keep listening, and we have got your back covered. I say we because I am joined today by Reverend Sarah Relaford, Reverend Garrett Roca, and Reverend Brian Betcher. How is everybody doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Our <laughs> Mary Magdalene is um, very vocal this morning, so she will be joining us too, it seems. Things have been great here. Uh, got to take a very nice break after that Christmas season, and I enjoyed the ultimate staycation of watching every show on Netflix that I could possibly want. Quite impressive, Brian. Uh, Things have been duly busy here, uh, end of the year where I'm at, but it's been been really good. And because of COVID uh, where I am, uh, we're not traveling much at all. So it's half staycation, half uh, walking across the yard to work since I live right next door to the church. <laughs> so um, it's been it's been interesting, but it's been good. Bringing up Netflix, I have to ask you guys, uh, one, did you watch Cobra Kai season three? And two, do we need a Mr. Miyagi episode at some time in the future? Yes, I did watch Cobra Kai season three in about one day. And because uh, it's amazing. And yes, we need a Miyagi episode. That's pretty impressive. I right, have we'll not. Put a pin in that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are very excited today to have author Catherine McNeil. We'll be talking about her book, All Shall Be Well. It's an excellent read. I just got done telling everybody that I'm planning on using it for a Bible study at the church I pastor in Lent. Very excited today. So, welcome, Catherine. How are you this morning? Hey, everybody. I'm glad to be here with you. Great. Well, Catherine, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are and what you're doing? Sure. I'd love to. Well, I live with my family in the far western suburbs of Chicago. So we've got snow on the ground right now. Um, Not enough to please my kids, but I grew up in the countrysides of Wisconsin and Minnesota, which are beautiful places. And Uh, wound up here in the Chicago area when I went to Wheaton College. That was a long time ago. I think you guys are significantly younger than me, possibly. And so I won't mention just how long ago, but I met my husband, who's from California, and it seemed best to just stay where we were. So that's what we did. We're still here. Uh, Let's see. I have three kids. Their school shut down the first week of March, and we have not left the house since the kids and I have been here in the house for an extremely long time. Uh, we've gotten very close. We know each other very well. They are ages 9, 12, and 14. So it's, uh, it's an okay time for e-learning, um, but it's been, it's been stretching uh, with me working from home and them at school at home. 
So that has been the main thing that's been happening with me in the past year is coexisting with my children every moment with all of us on a Zoom call pretty much all the time. I think because I grew up in the country, I've always been really enamored by the natural world, which I think is what we're here to talk about today. Just the the growth process, the life and death cycles. I live in the suburbs now, but I escape to forest preserves and state parks and wilderness areas whenever I can. And my husband and I, with the kids, uh, run a really enormous garden. We, to give you a sense of scale, planted over 200 tomato plants last year. So when I say large garden, I mean large garden. And for me, there's not much that's more instructive about the nature of reality, the truth of God, than just watching what God has placed and sustains in the natural world. And um, that's, I guess, where All Shall Be Well came from. It is the culmination of many years of reflecting on what my soul and spirit is learning from just walking through the world day after day after day. And it really is a beautiful book. Uh, The book, the full title is All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World by you, Catherine McNeil. Uh, Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the core themes of the book? You know, the book is sort of organized around the seasons. You know, it begins spring and moves through winter with a prologue and an epilogue. So can you talk about, you know, where that came from and and how that produced some of the sort of core ideas and themes that you were talking about in the book? Yeah, well, I wanted to do two different things. I wanted to look at what God is doing in every season, because for example, it's winter right now uh, in the world. World is covered in snow, but it's also very much winter uh, in my heart, I guess. I don't know how to say it. For me personally, it's just such a season of dormancy. A lot of the work that I do as a as a writer and speaker has been put on hold because events aren't happening. And just, you know, so much of how we like to live, uh, gathering with friends, going to church in person, um, so much is just on hold. And it has been for a long time. It's such a long season of dormancy. And I learn how to survive that by having been through 40 winters. You know, I know that as convincingly like death, winter seems, it is actually a time of quiet preparation that is desperately needed for new life to come back out. So there's just something in every season that has fed me over the years that I wanted to highlight. But more than that, I also wanted to to look at the entire cycle of the entire life and death cycle from that dark moment before the dawn, before you even can hope or even believe that new life might be coming all the way through to the fullness, um, the exhausting, chaotic fullness of life, to the decline, the fears of realizing that everything's in the rearview mirror now and it's hard to say what's coming next, all the way back to the darkness and the death. Because we live that cycle, we live it daily, annually, but we also are in the middle of our own life cycle. And I think that there's something inherently in the cycles and seasons that God made that 
are informative to us and even nurturing. And so I wanted to look at the individual pieces, but I also wanted to look at the cycle as a whole. I think that's absolutely wonderful for me. Where we're really connected to nature, being in Florida, where well, we used to live in a really rural part of Florida, uh, where there were more cows than people, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're more in the suburbs now. But I've always had a deep admiration for the sea and the connection there, and seasons near water, you know, look a little different. But I think that connection to the rhythms that mm-hmm. that are inherent in nature help give you that sense of time. And it's very strange now since I haven't been able to go to the beach and do all of those things that uh, my time feels a little off. Uh, this is yeah. the longest March ever, you know, <laughs> Yes, invaded a new year. Uh, but all kidding aside, the like you said, the seasons that we've essentially grown up in and through as as a people and as a species is really important and seeing God in there it's a sense of sacredness for me as well. So yeah, I really do appreciate that. Good. And, you know, I think we're really cut off from it these days. We try our best, you know, we kind of go from the, our house to the attached garage, to the car, to the, to our workplace or the grocery store or whatever. We don't really have to deal with whatever's happening out there. Um, we have lights that we can turn on in the nighttime and we can pretend like it's daytime and summertime all the time. But I, I think we kind of we've lost some resiliency as a result whenever trouble comes or we have to wait or we can't have something right away or we're not in a period of rejoicing we start to panic and we say wait you know where's the switch that i can flick and make this be okay again i think we've lost the resiliency that comes from going through the cycle over and over again it's okay i'm here right now i'll be somewhere else in a bit Um, there's something that god has for me here I don't have to be producing something exciting today, or I might be exhausted right now because I have too much opportunity, too many responsibilities, but it's okay. You know, a season of rest will be on its way. I think we just feel like we need to be at full throttle all the time. Mm -hmm. So one of the themes in your book is, or one of the things you address in your book is that feasting and festivals constantly without a time of lying fallow is dangerous. And I really love that imagery. Um, Would you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I would love to. A lot of the church traditions that I've been a part of have somehow found a way to keep all of the, the feasting and festivals of the Christian calendar and get rid of all of the uh, more uncomfortable ones. Um, Like we love Easter, but not, not Lent. We love Christmas, but we decide to start Christmas, you know, at Thanksgiving or maybe even Halloween. We don't, we kind of skip over the waiting period of Advent. We love to celebrate, but we don't want to fast. We love to rejoice, but we don't want to really sit in in the time of confession. Um, you know, we'll have communion, but we, we don't do the confession beforehand. And I think that there's something really lost there. I think we need to have both. We don't understand why we're celebrating if we haven't spent time reflecting and lamenting because our real lives are full of reasons to lament and to cry out to God and to say, Lord, have mercy on us, Um, not just from a capacity of our sinfulness, but are just a capacity of our pain. And if we think that the Christian life is, you know, Easter Sunday and Christmas morning, and then Easter Sunday again and Christmas morning again, then 
I think we lose track of the fact that God came to be in the trenches with us. God came and suffered with us. And God is redeeming this world that he made um, slowly over time, like I do in my garden, like I do with my kids, like you do with your cat. You know, it's a long process of nurturing and unfolding and that God is with us in all the ups and downs. Yeah, and I think that says something very powerful about familiarity, because, you know, one of the things that causes us to panic and often causes us to resist things that are unpleasant, especially as children, is not necessarily the difficulty of, of bearing some challenge or the difficulty of dealing with like a scraped knee or something like that. It's it's the surprise of it all, right? You know, mm. I used to work in childcare and, you know, I'd, I'd try very hard to remind the, the new folks who had come in to join us that, you know, some of our kids that we worked with were so young that, you know, it is entirely possible that the scraped knee or the turned ankle or, or whatever kind of um, injury they'd sustained outside playing ball and running around and doing the things that kids do, whatever that was could have potentially been like literally the worst pain they'd ever experienced. Mm. A lot of them were so young. But, you know, as you grow older, these things are things that we, like you said, get into the habit of weathering. We get that sense of resilience and that Mm -hmm. sense of capability alongside that familiarity and that experience. Well, yeah. I mean, we learn from rhythm. Yes. We, we, it's, it's a part of why um, more liturgical like Christian traditions have that focus is because there's a recognition of that. Yes, we are going to do some of the same things maybe in unique ways, but we're going to do that same pattern all the time. Why? Because that pattern draws us closer to God. It draws us closer to one another and it helps us to live a Christian life. So I I've often told folks in the churches where I've served that like in worship, what we're trying to do is to learn that rhythm of the Christian life. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, so to speak, except for we're seeing it everywhere. Yeah. I love that learning the rhythm of the Christian life. And it just helps us to be honest. It helps us to say, I'm bringing my whole personhood to the faith, to the discipline, to God, Um, not just this like shiny piece that I have cultivated. I love the image in your chapter on Job of the rabbi standing. And I think he was looking out at the ocean, but he has two pieces of paper in his pockets. Yeah. And and one is, I am dust. And then the other one is, I am beloved or something along those lines right yeah um let's see i'll pull up the actual quotes that i can i can give him uh credence uh so for one yeah the story goes that a certain rabbi always kept two pieces of paper one in each pants pocket in one pocket the paper read for my sake the world was created and in the other pocket the scrap said i am but dust and ashes holding both to be true he reminded himself of each as necessary i am great I am small. And that's such a it was such a poignant image for me because those are the two kind of cliffs we fall off of. Either we have just see ourselves as worthless, like why why am I even on the planet? Why would God even care for me? But on the other hand, we we get extremely egotistical and self-focused thinking that everything here is for us and we somehow need to find the balance of both. C.S. Lewis talks about the weight of glory and the fact that, you know, God made us and God has chosen to be in communion with us. 
but also with you, you know, <laughs> and you and also with you. And we have to somehow grapple with the fact that we are precious and also we are but a breath. Yeah, and, and another thought from C.S. Lewis is to talk about our creatureliness. Yeah. Like, um, the fact that we might be through a scriptural lens, like one of the, one of the peaks of God's creation, but we're still a creature. Like we're still like everything else created. And exactly. One of the things that's been kind of challenging during this time of traveling less is that since I was a bizarre little child who was weirdly spiritual before I Mm -hmm. ever knew I was going to be a pastor, (laughs) I've always really liked going into nature Um, especially places where there are mountains, trees, big rivers, to feel small and to sort of put problems in perspective. And Garrett and Brian and John and a bunch of our other friends go camping every summer. And we couldn't do that this year because of COVID. And we haven't really, I don't know, I need to, I need to find ways to, to look at nature around me in rural South Carolina and find some sort of smallness and beauty in the gnats in the sand and the pine trees. Yes. <laughs> Cotton fields. Yeah. In, in, in the, the river. <laughs> <laughs> in the chapter where I quoted the rabbi, I was standing at the ocean um, in, in, in the darkness. So not only was the ocean going into the vast infinity, but so was the universe. And uh, I do think we need that. Um, my family took a, a very long socially distanced drive from our house in Chicago to California this fall. And we spent most of the time in beautiful national parks that are in between those two locations. There's almost no one there because it was, you know, end of November and beginning of December. And it was a great way to spend your pandemic uh, just in the middle of nowhere in these beautiful places. But there was one night when we were driving really late at night, I I drove for an entire day and passed seven cars the entire day. That's how deeply in the middle of nowhere we were. And I just parked the car and we all got out and looked at the stars because we were probably 20 miles from the nearest light, you know, maybe a hundred, maybe 200 miles from the nearest light. And it, I'm, I'm sure I've seen it before growing up in the country, but it's rare that I've seen the sky like that living in the city now. And it really is a transcendent moment. And again, I think that's a thing that we've lost in our modern life is that for most of human history, everybody saw that every night and really were faced with the fact that we don't know what's out there. Like we are just in this tiny little context, this kind of tiny little location and as, as big and pressing and urgent and important as our lives are, there's a lot out there. Yeah, I think especially darkness is one of those overwhelming uh, aspects of nature that I see over and over again when I read Christian authors. Um, I read uh, Learning to Walk in the Dark. Uh, it's yeah. more of a memoir by, by Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, I've done that several times with uh, Church for Bible Study. Gregory Ellison, a professor at Candler, he he wrote a, a book um, and he described the first time he could remember of like experiencing the darkness in the country because he mm. came from the city and yeah. how overwhelming and terrifying it was. Um, and his grandmother was there to, to comfort him and reconnect him. And soon he began to see the stars. And, mm. um, you know, for me, uh, I get that very same 
feeling is just that reconnection back with God. And I guess I've, I've always been strange um, because growing up very near to the ocean, like three blocks away um, when I lived in New Jersey, going to the beach at night was just the thing you did. <laughs> and even though I experienced it so many times, uh, it, it never stopped being awe-inspiring. And it actually, for me, gets me excited, that overwhelming feeling because of the, I guess, the possibilities. And sort of like, for me, it's like the blank canvas. Uh, most people think of white canvas. I think of like the dark, <laughs> the dark and like the adventure of like, I don't know what's out there, but if I yeah. go travel far enough, you know, I can see the glory of God, you know, like illumined in the stars and the little towns and what God mm -hmm. is doing there. And it's sort of the sense of adventure. And it just sort of uh, very nostalgic for me to kind of rethink about these things uh, in engaging with your work. So, yeah, great. Y you know, it comes down so much, I think, to formation. The life of faith isn't just agreeing to a few things written out on a card or praying a specific prayer. It's how are we formed as individuals and as a collective people? And uh, I think that we don't put a lot of thought into how we're being formed today. And I think it's to our detriment. I think we are malnourished, even though we live in such a time and place of, of abundance. And these things, I think becoming aware of the world that God created and where we are in that world, I think plays a huge role in how we're formed. And I think people are hungry for that um, to like, there's a deep yearning for something more. I don't think we always know like what it is, but I think part of that is truly like you were saying, kind of like this lack of intentional formation as human beings and how we connect with the greater systems in our world. Yeah. And I think Brian, that connection is key especially to this conversation where we're reflecting on nature and one of the beautiful things about sitting in between the two premises on the pieces of paper in the rabbi's pockets is it forces us um, to recontextualize and I think view ourselves through a more holistic lens where we are not just sort of individual functioning human adults, you know, we are part of systems that are much larger than us, you know, part of natural systems, part of a reality where we are not, in fact, separate from it, mm -hmm. but in fact, embedded and enmeshed within it. And that comes with, with beauty and wonder kind of all the way through. You know, I constantly am thinking of I think it was Gregory Nazianzus, but it was definitely one of the early Gregories in the church who <laughs> talked about humanity, not a, a human being is not an individual person, but the whole collection of humanity altogether. You know, mm -hmm. that was his image of humanity. We are not ourselves without each other. Hallelujah. And that comes with so much beauty and so much responsibility because then... I personally have the potential to make things that much better, that much worse for, for the entire whole. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. You become reinvested in the people and your physical environment around you. Mm -hmm. um, and for some folks, it's challenging because they have to start thinking about the practices that they have in their lives. You know, not only is the gospel uh, good news for them and their personal spiritual salvation but like for the rest of the creation 
Am I being loving to, you know, the environment? Am I making the right choices in, in making sure that it's healing or being sustained or, or being cared to? And what can I do to be a part of that? Or am I not? Or mm-hmm. am I upset for being challenged this way? So it does open up a lot of doors for uh, that spiritual self-reflection um, and positioning us back sort of, or at least our egos back to where we currently are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and on top of that, like I, just thinking into like kind of how does this practically like work itself out? I, a couple of years ago at a church where I was serving, they had a tradition of, you know, preparing like gloves and mittens and bringing in toys for kids at like local shelters and things like that. And we got contacted by the shelter, you know, several weeks before Christmas. And um, they were like, we don't need any of that. What we need are bus passes. Because people don't know how to get, they don't have transportation to get to work, things like that. And so we like, you know, explained it to the church that that's what they needed. And you could tell they were deeply disconnected from these people Hmm. because it was all about their ability to feel great about the fact, well, I knitted this hat or I gave that toy or, but it really wasn't about like, are we connected with people and trying to help them with what they actually need? They're, they're disrupted. Like they're not connected in that pattern and in that relationship that's really problematic when when people have asked for help and you just say that's not what I want to do Brian I hope it's okay for me to say you just gave a nice summary of the my third book which I just turned into my editor right before Christmas so I wrote about we can do that podcast too (laughs) yeah I wrote about the call in the Christian community to love our neighbors and strangers and even our enemies And how are we even supposed to begin to do this incredibly challenging life's work if we don't even want to know them and not even want to know what they're facing or what their lives are like? I need every Christian to read that book. (laughs) (laughs) I do too, actually. So um, it'll be coming at you in about a year, unfortunately. But This is just a random question about nature. What are your favorite kind of places to go? Like and just be in nature? Well, given the constraints of living in the Chicago suburbs, (laughs) my current favorite place to be is either in the middle of a forest, in a forest preserve, or in my kayak in the middle of a lake in one of our forest preserves. So my kids and my husband bought me a kayak for my birthday last year. So I spent as much of the pandemic as possible in the middle of a lake. Um, That's not possible now that it's um, wintertime here. But anytime I can be around water or around trees, I'm extremely happy. Um, But like I said, we also love to dabble in the desert vastness of the the west the southwest so i think there's something amazing about that as well yeah when i was uh when i was a camp counselor i signed up for a week of camp that was uh to be the counselor for what are called night owls and there are kids that all of their activities are at night and the night canoe wow. uh, was everybody's favorite activity and you had to do it late in the week or else they just keep asking to do it again that's um, amazing I want a night canoe. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, am I too old to go to camp? <laughs> Can I go? 
Well, I'm not sure that the camp has survived COVID, uh, but um, it was a tremendous experience to be able to help kids to experience nature in a in a way that they're not used to. Because most of the time when they're at home, they have to be in bed well before like they would be able to see what they were able to see. So true. And it was totally okay for them to sleep at least through half of the day at camp. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that it feels like we've been in a long winter and the winter cycle of this book was really poignant right now. Mm. Could you talk about the themes of the salt chapter a little bit? Yeah. I use salt um, as a as a metaphor for this chapter, which Garrett, living in Florida, you will probably not appreciate this, but... Um, Up where I live, throughout the entire winter, the city trucks are spreading salt on everything so that the ice will melt. And this is very useful. This is how we can get to work and get to school and get to the grocery store without killing ourselves. But the result is that by the end of the winter, there's just salt everywhere. And there's this dingy gray gone are the fluffy beautiful idyllic days of the fluffy snowfalls and here instead is just salt covered gray on every surface and it's so discouraging and at least if you are further north it can go on forever and you really start to despair and believe that spring and new life and clean car (laughs) will never ever arrive and that again having survived that for 40 times, I recognize that there are times when my life, my soul feels that way, whatever the calendar may say, where, you know, I think this pandemic is a really good example. Early on, we all kind of dug deep. We made funny YouTube videos. You know, we did clever song parodies. We shared the funniest things with each other. We opened our windows and sang songs at appointed times. We were suffering and we were struggling and we were afraid, but we were really putting our best foot forward. But that was a really long time ago. And somewhere in there, we've just lost every hang in there resource that we had. We have, some of us have literally lost friends and family. Uh, Some of us are struggling with extremely lingering disease. Some of us have lost, many of us have lost jobs or economic security. Um, There's just so much suffering. We've lost mental health because we don't have what, you know, the community that we actually need to survive. And I think we're in that season where, um, oh, and all the other stuff that's going on. Uh, We're just covered in salt and lifelessness, and it's not beautiful anymore. It's really hard to see any kind of a silver lining. Um, We just really need it to be over. Um, We're we're spent. We are spent. I think there is a place, uh, whether in real life or in in our spirits, our mental health, however you want to describe that, where we have gotten to the end of our rope but no rescue comes. We just have to literally just stay there at the end of your rope far longer than you thought was, was possible. And so in this, uh, in this chapter, which I call salt and I also call it endurance, I talk about the darkness before the dawn and what Ecclesiastes says about lingering in the house of death. And I quote John Donne's poem, Death Be Not Proud. And I, it's actually one of my favorite chapters, I think, because I feel it so viscerally. Um, How do we learn to live with God, honestly, with ourselves, when we are in this place of just flat out endurance? 
We're not thriving. We're not surviving. We're just holding on to this last thread that we thought was broken long ago. But I end with the words, spring rains are coming soon. It is always darkest before the dawn. And we believe that God's resurrection is the final word. I think to close then, it would be fitting to talk a little bit about the resurrection epilogue and to maybe reflect on the title a little bit because your closing, you know, quote that you made use of was the, you know, all shall be well quote. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came together? Yeah. Um, The title all shall be well comes from fairly well-known quote by Julian of Norwich, which is the full quote is all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And what's important for me in this title and in this book and in Julian's life is that she wasn't saying that on vacation uh, with a latte in her hand. She was saying that on her deathbed. It turned out she recovered. She did not die, but she and her doctors and everyone around her believed that she was in her deathbed. She had the plague. And it was in this intense time of darkness and suffering, suffering unto death, that she had a series of visions where she believed that God was revealing uh, truth and wisdom to her to comfort her in this time. She wrote them later since she did survive, and they're collected in in a book called Divine Revelations by Julian of Norwich. But she was in this intense place of darkness and death when she came to the conviction that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And like I said, she did survive, but she was not expecting to. She did not take that as a promise from God that she would recover and go on to lead a healthy, happy life of ease. She took that to mean she would die from this disease, that humanity would continue to suffer and struggle under the plague, but that God was doing something in our midst that he, in his mercy, had removed the veil from her eyes and she could actually see it, even in this deathbed. And I don't go into that at length or really at all in the book, but that captures what I was trying to do in this book. It's not an idyllic, Um, naive reflection on reality that says, oh, look at this beautiful flower. Oh, look at that lovely sunset. All is well. Um, What I'm trying to say is in the darkness and in despair, that's where hope finds you. In death, that's where joy surprises you by bringing you alive. And maybe not when you want it, maybe months or years after you laid on your face, pleading with God, to read, to deliver you from, from the darkness, but that God's presence is here in this messy, abundant world and that the veil has been lifted so that occasionally we can awaken and see that in the midst of it all, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Yeah. So I actually used a little bit of Julian of Norwich during Advent this year because, you know, we kind of relate pretty well to the Black Death, all things considered right now. Mm -hmm. And I encourage the folks in my congregation to say that to themselves every day. And at first I said, well, do that during Advent. Like that might help us to to remember that light is coming. And then I said, no, maybe we need to do that until we all get vaccinated and we can all (laughs) live together again. Because we just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful sentiment about a very specific time in history that surprisingly enough 
came back around in, yes. in a way. Catherine, I just want to say thank you so much for that. I think it was the sermon I needed this mm. week. The last question, the actual last question that we ask each week, though, is what is bringing everybody joy right now? And I'd like to invite you, Catherine, to go first and, and tell us what, what is helping you you know, maintain some resilience or just bringing you just little existential moments of wonder and joy and beauty in your life? Well, this is a really nerdy answer, but I am in seminary right now, and that means I have a really tall stack of books I have to read and discuss with my co-students and colleagues, and that is keeping me alive. I don't know if I can give that nerdy of an answer, but it's my stack of books and my conversations about theology that are keeping me going. That answer is very welcome here. Okay, good. You just can't see our stacks of books. Okay. <laughs> you never really stop. No. They just keep coming. Those are mostly oh. board games behind us. But <laughs> I, I do see that bookshelf. I focus my camera away from one of the bookshelves in my house. We have <laughs> six that are just full of books. And we still keep getting them. I don't know where they're coming from. So <laughs> just more and more. And, you know, also, I think with the you know the one of the main impacts of the pandemic being keeping us from each other opportunities that i've had to connect with friends all over the world over zoom which is something we probably wouldn't have thought of doing before um, that always brings me joy so uh one of the things that's bringing me joy right now is that on our district our kind of uh, local region of methodist pastors um, we've been making an intentional effort over this last kind of three or four months to be really intentional about connecting online and doing things. And that's been essential, not just because Methodism is all about connectionalism and things like that, but to really just invest in one another. And honestly, I feel closer to my colleagues hmm. than I ever did before. Probably. So uh, the one that I'm thinking of is a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a week ago, what is time? I don't remember. At some time recently, we rewatched The Princess Bride, which <gasps> there is a reference to in your book, which we yes. loved. <laughs> uh, John was like, "We'll be friends with her." Um, so we, I guess, neither we haven't watched it in a couple of years, but I mean, it's probably the movie I've seen more than any other one in my entire life. So, just kind of sitting down and watching it and letting that magic kind of take over um, and transport us to a simpler time of you know, getting to see movies that just sort of are magical. I don't mean that it's an actual historical movie. I want to be clear. <laughs> are you sure? Because <laughs> I <laughs> I think I just penned this tweet, but um, I was telling John after we watched it that I thought everything from The Princess Bride was real growing up. Like everything, <laughs> like R-O-U-S's, Lightning Sand, Shrieking Heels, <laughs> the countries of Gilder and Florin. I thought it was all real probably for way longer than I should have. <laughs> Keep in mind, the first awesome. time I saw it, it was in second grade. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, the conceit of the novel is that it's an edited history that's been turned into a, a right? fun adventure story. Okay, fine. <laughs> yes, the novel is even funnier than the movie. It is good. I haven't finished it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you reading it right now? Well, I'm reading well, a lot of things right now. I I'm halfway through a ton of books. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> well, Catherine, to parallel you, you know, what's bringing me joy right now is all the writing I'm doing. It's been a 
remarkably, weirdly productive couple of weeks for writing. Mm -hmm. And I've been sort of searching around for a long-term, large writing project for a while. And I had an idea pop into my head for a, a novel or a story of some kind a little while back. And I'm really having fun just kind of putting words on the page and fleshing it out. And I sort of put myself in a zero pressure situation. I'm like a thousand words a week. Wonderful. And that's the minimum. <laughs> and it's working out so far. So it's going to be, I hope, something that'll be publishable or, or something that I can at least share with people and bring them some, you know, encouragement or joy or entertainment or something along those lines. It's not a novel about Florin and Gilder, though, is it? <laughs> uh, it is not, no. Uh, the, the opening line of the novel is, the cult wasn't working out for Lorraine. Oh, wow. I'm intrigued. It's already <laughs> spicy, John. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those good, strong opening lines are very important. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's uh, awesome. Who else has something giving them life? Have we all gone? Oh, I guess I haven't gone yet. Um... Uh, for once, uh, I'm sort of at a loss, but um, I think I'm grateful for having an emptier household. We have we have a new pooch, and he's full of energy. But we had family for the holidays, and as much as I thrived on having people there in the house, at a certain point, you're like, could you just go home? You know, just so I can like make this bed and like walk around in my jammies, like all like Saturday morning and like not have to be like prepared to like entertain folks so yeah I think you know just the small brief thing of quiet for for right now that'll probably get old by the end of the day who knows but uh yeah that's been that's been a nice that's been nice uh, for the past couple days awesome well thank you so much guys for this wonderful conversation season two I think is off to a pretty great start uh, you can check us out at any of the major podcast locations. Just search Logosish. You can find us on social media at Logosish Pod. And we have a brand new website as of yesterday. That's yesterday, this recording, not yesterday, whenever this episode drops. But stay safe out there, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful time. And we'll see you again on the next episode. Hey guys, this is John. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Logosish. We forgot to mention this on our initial recording, but you can find Catherine on social media at Catherine McNeil, and her book is available wherever books are sold. This week's music was by Audionautics.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, or if you'd like to have your music featured on the podcast, be a guest on the podcast, or suggest a topic for us to cover, send us an email to logosishpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at LogosishPod. We also now have a website, Logosish.com. Please like, subscribe, and review wherever you downloaded this podcast. That helps us to get the word out about all the cool stuff we're working on, and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Have a great week.